Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Tuberculosis is a leading cause of maternal mortality, particularly among women living with HIV. Researchers are making progress on TB prevention therapies in pregnancy, but there are still large gaps in the studies. We have Dr. Jyothi Mathad here to speak with us about that today. Dr. Mathad is a faculty member at the Center for Global Health at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York City. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Mathad. You're presenting your research, Pregnancy, HIV, and Tuberculosis, Current Practices and Research Opportunities at CROI 2021. Can you give us an overview of your session? TB is a leading cause of maternal mortality, but pregnant women are often excluded from TB clinical trials. So for example, we don't even know how many pregnant women get TB every year, regardless of HIV status. During the talk, what I hope to do is to highlight the progress we've made um, on TB prevention therapies in pregnancy and discuss a lot of detail on those trials and then also point out some of the gaps we have in areas that I hope we can focus research on in the coming years. Well, let's dive into your study. What is the impact of pregnancy and HIV on the immune response to mycobacterium tuberculosis? So here's what we know. As pregnancy progresses, there are estrogen and progesterone levels that increase. And as those hormone levels increase, they modulate the way the women's immune system functions. So we don't exactly understand the details of how, but we do know that the body is trying to find a balance between keeping the woman safe from infections, but also simultaneously not rejecting the fetus. Um, And it's a very well-orchestrated system normally. Um, And the changes that happen during pregnancy in terms of immune modulation are not the same as, you know, if you had chemotherapy or if you have uncontrolled HIV infection where we know your immune system is, you know, completely suppressed. It's much milder than that. But we do know that it affects the immune system enough that it can impact the way infectious diseases are are handled. So for example, there are some infections where pregnant women are much more likely to get the infection. So listeria, for example, every time we have a listeria outbreak, uh, we always look for the disease in pregnant women because we know they're more likely to get it. There are other infections that you're not necessarily more likely to get during pregnancy, but if you get it while you're pregnant, you're more likely to have a more severe form of it. And so the most common example we use is influenza. So you're not more likely to get influenza when you're pregnant, but if you get influenza when you're pregnant, you're more likely to need an ICU, you're more likely to die from it. We think COVID-19 is probably in the same category. Um, So when it comes to these immune changes and interacting with TB, again, there's less known about this, just again, because there are less pregnant women included in some of these trials. But some of the research that our team has done in India suggests that pregnancy does suppress some of the key cell populations that are important in the immune response to TB, including CD4 cells, CD8 cells, and the, the chemicals, the cytokines that they produce. And so what we think happens is this occurs during pregnancy, and especially if you have latent TB infection, it may allow TB to start to replicate in your body when you're pregnant. Because of the immune suppression that happens during pregnancy, you may not see the symptoms during pregnancy, but rather after pregnancy, when your postpartum, your immune system is trying to go back to normal, and now all of a sudden we see the symptoms. And so epidemiologically, we know that the highest risk time for pregnant women to get TB is in that immediate postpartum period. And we think that this is some of the immunology that contributes to that happening. Now with HIV, because you asked about both HIV and pregnancy. So HIV, of course, we know depresses CD4 counts. We know CD4 T cells are important for TB immunology. 
Um, what's interesting though, is that we would expect that if we treat the HIV and your CD4 counts go up, that then the risk, increased risk of TB would go completely away. But we continue to see an increased risk of TB in people, even when they're living with well-controlled HIV. And so it's a little unclear as to what's going on there. Is it a functional issue, like their CD4 cells go up, but maybe they're not behaving in the same way as it would happen in someone who doesn't have HIV? Or is it something that we just don't really fully understand? So um, the studies that we've been conducting largely in India have been in pregnant women with and without HIV. And so we're able to compare the immune response to TB in both those populations. And again, you know, most of the women in our study on antiretroviral therapy virally suppressed, but we do notice that women with HIV have a lower expression of interferon gamma, which is one of these chemicals that's really important for the immune response to TB. Um, so it just kind of lends a little bit more support to this concept that even having well-controlled HIV may still impact the way um, your body handles TB. What research gaps for pregnancy, HIV, and tuberculosis exist in the United States, and how can these gaps be filled? I know you had mentioned before, we don't know how many pregnant women even get TB each year. What do you think about all of that? There are pretty much gaps everywhere you look when it comes to TB and pregnancy. So um, as you mentioned, there's gaps in the epidemiology, there's gaps in how we prevent TB, there's gaps in how we treat TB during pregnancy, lots of gaps. Um, but if we want to start with some good news, so um, I'm very proud that the US CDC has just recently started collecting data on whether or not a woman is pregnant when she's diagnosed with active TB, which was a huge advocacy and scientific effort um, to get those forms changed. It seems something simple, but it's really, you know, it's a huge system. And so it's hard to get things incorporated. Um, but we're very excited that the CDC has decided to do that. So we should soon have some data on the epidemiology of TB in pregnant women in the US at least. And then we hope that that will kind of provide a model for other countries to be able to incorporate that into their systematic um, data collection on TB. What we don't have data on is whether some of the newer TB prevention regimens are safe in pregnancy. And that's especially important in people with HIV, not only because of the increased risk that we mentioned, but because people with HIV are taking medications that treat HIV and we not, need to know how those medications interact. Um, so especially like as we're rolling out dolutegravir, not only in the United States, but in other countries, that's going to be an important um, issue to address. And then, as I mentioned before, um, in terms of the treatment of active TB, we actually have slightly different recommendations for how we treat active TB in pregnancy in women who don't have HIV in this country versus women who do have HIV. And the reason why there's a discrepancy in what we recommend and what the rest of the world recommends is largely because we just, you know, we don't have the safety data in pregnancy. And I think that's an important gap that needs to be filled, not only for the United States, but really for the whole world to know that we're all on the same page and we provide the same treatment regardless of where you are. Um, the, one of the problems is that pregnant women are not included in a lot of the treatment shortening trials, for example, with active TB. Um, they generally are not included in any of the treatment trials for drug resistant TB. And so we have really no recommendations um, about exactly what to do when you have a pregnant woman with drug resistant TB. So I think those are major gaps that need to start being filled sooner rather than later. And what behavioral and immunologic risk factors can predict which women are at highest risk for developing active TB postpartum? This is an area of very active research. And, you know, as I mentioned, we have very little data on pregnancy. So it's harder to say what are the specific risk factors to pregnancy. We know 
the risk factors we know of are the ones that are not exclusive to pregnancy. So we know that women with HIV have a higher risk of postpartum TB, or if they have um, malnutrition, they're at more risk, just like we know in non-pregnant populations. Um, immunologically, what puts them at risk is what we're still trying to figure out. Um, so as I mentioned, we're conducting a study that's looking at this in, in India to try to answer some of these questions kind of more globally. Um, we have some data that our, our team has generated on certain genes that seem to be turned on in women who um, go on to develop postpartum TB, TB compared to matched women who don't develop postpartum TB. And so those types of findings are really exciting um, and they kind of provide a lot of insight, hopefully into TB pathophysiology, but need to be done on a much larger scale before we can say for sure that these are the, you know, these are the exact immunologic mechanisms that are happening in pregnancy. What are the overall take-home messages from your session? Pregnancy is a high-risk time for women to develop active TB, and that's especially true if they have HIV. The highest risk time for women to develop active TB is within those first 90 days after they have a baby. When pregnant women have TB, bad things happen. They're more likely to die. Their children are more likely to have problems, and so it's really an important thing for us to try to prevent. But Best practices for TB prevention in pregnancy are really unknown. Um, we don't, the current regimens that we have, we've either proven have increased risk of adverse effects during pregnancy, or we just don't have safety data on it at all. And so that's an area that really needs to be addressed. Treatment of active TB also, it varies based on whether you're in a high burden or a low burden setting. And that's largely, again, because we have lack of safety data on any of these medications in pregnancy. So, you know, one of my big take home points is that we really need to start including pregnant and lactating women in clinical TB trials to make sure that everyone is able to kind of reap the benefits of the really incredible research that's going on in the area of TB. Yeah, what is next for research in this topic? I think that there's been a lot of progress in this area. Again, scientists and uh, advocacy coming together to, to bring this issue about TB and pregnancy on a larger platform. Um, and I think that we have high hopes for getting more of the epidemiology data. As I mentioned, the CDC has already agreed to collect that data. We're hopeful that the WHO will, will consider doing the same thing um, and including that in their global TB report every year. Um, there's also a lot of interest in conducting some of these safety trials, at least in the TB prevention regimens, um, specifically with the new regimens like 3-HP and 1-HP and whether or not they interact with dolutegravir in pregnancy. So I'm really hopeful that those studies are actually going to happen in the near future. I would love to see more clinical trials of TB shortening regimens or drug resistant regimens in pregnancy. I know there's a lot of regulatory challenges with these trials in general, and then you add pregnancy and obviously that makes it more complicated. Um, but you know, as we often say, there are six pe sick people that get pregnant. There are pregnant people who get sick and you know, just holding our breath and hoping that the next nine or 10 months go well for a woman is not really a viable solution. Um, and, you know, oftentimes, especially um, both in the U.S., but also um, abroad, pregnancy is one of those times where women, most women will interact with healthcare at some point during their pregnancy um, to make sure that their baby is safe, to make sure that they're doing okay. And so it's a really important entry point for women into healthcare. And so if we can identify all the different things that we can do to help keep women safe, help keep their baby safe, this is such a crucial time to do it. And so I think that... Um, being able to include pregnant women in these trials would really help move that needle forward. 
Thank you so much for talking with us. I, this is such a fascinating topic and so important. Is there anything else that you'd like to add at all that we missed? A lot of people kind of assume that maybe pregnant women would not want to be part of trials. It's very natural to be very nervous when you're pregnant. I mean, I, you know, I luckily had a very straightforward pregnancy, but like you're nervous about everything you do. Like, what do I eat? What do I drink? You know, where do I go? These things are all part of your mind. Um, but I think all the studies that we've done in pregnancy, the important thing when you're doing research is really that informed consent, right? So we do informed consent, not as a formality, we're informing them of the risks and the benefits that we think they will personally and kind of on a larger level glean from this research. And the purpose of doing that is, like I said, not a formality, it's so that they can understand it and they can make the decision themselves. And so I think one of the frustrating things at times can be, there are times when we exclude people from research and a lot of times we get nervous about including children because we know children can't make decisions for themselves. We um, are cautious about including prisoners or including people with mental health issues and then also pregnant women. And so it's so like one of these things is not like the other, you know, like there are people who who can make decisions on their own. They make a lot of decisions every day on their own about what they're gonna do. And then all of a sudden with research, we're like, no, no, we'll make this decision for you. You're not going to be included in these studies because we're worried on your behalf for your, for your baby. And I think there's something a little bit not right with that. You know, I think, and when we talk with um, pregnant women that are in our studies, there are, especially with like HIV trials, there were times when we didn't want to include them and they were like, please include us. You know, like we want to be part of these trials because we want to use these newer medications. And I think the thing that is important to remember as a researcher is when you choose to exclude people from your study, you have made a choice in and of itself. And it's not necessarily always a safer choice. So with HIV in pregnancy, for example, pregnant women in the beginning, we, were, we did a great job of including them in trials because we wanted to prevent mother-to-child transmission. So they were included in a lot of those trials. And then we kind of stopped. Once we figured out we knew how to do that, we kind of stopped doing it. And then they got stuck on this really old regimen for antiretroviral therapy that included, you know, like AZT, which we know causes anemia and most pregnant women get anemia. So it was like a, we paused in time and then everyone else was getting to one day, one pill, you know, all this stuff. And pregnant women were left with these really complicated regimens that had a lot more adverse effects. And I think at some point people were like, Hey, wait a minute, why are we still giving them these archaic medications? And I think the same kind of revolution is hopefully happening with TB also that like, there are these medications, you know, most of our first line medications were developed in the 1950s and we've been on that regimen ever since. And now there's these newer medications and they have less side effects and you can shorten your regimen. And I think that that's, um, something that pregnant women are also interested in doing. Um, so I think that allowing them to participate in the conversation and allowing them to have a say in what they think is safe and not safe is so important. And that's why informed consent is so important. You provide them the information and if they say no, great, then they said no. Um, but if they want to, then that's a choice that they should get to make. It's an opportunity they should be able to have. Um, so we haven't really, a lot of the studies that I've conducted have been observational. And so observational studies make it a lot easier because there's not an intervention, but there are some you know, clinical trials that I've been part of. And we've always been kind of pleasantly surprised at how 
willing pregnant women are to be in some of these studies, even for a preventive regimen for TB, if you live in a TB endemic country and you see people around you dying of TB all the time, you want to be part of that preventive trial. You want to be able to make sure that you and your baby are going to stay safe. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of even more why I feel so strongly about including pregnant women in a lot of trials, because they, they weigh these things. No one cares more about their fetus than they do. <laughs> um, so, you know, give them that opportunity to make that choice. The final point I'll make is when you include women, pregnant women in research, you're actually watching them so much more closely than you do in standard care, right? So if anything is going to happen, you're going to know because you're seeing them every two weeks and you're checking their blood work and you're, you know, you're keeping track of them so closely. If we don't do the research, then what happens is uh, providers, wherever, who sees a patient who's pregnant and has TB or drug-resistant TB, and we haven't given them research-based guidelines to follow, they have to kind of guess at what, what's the right thing to do. Um, and they treat them and they're probably not following them every two weeks, you know, like they don't may not have the capacity to do that. And so if something goes wrong, they might not necessarily have the same infrastructure to build in to catch that. And so when we don't include them, we're basically just putting, putting the onus on someone else who may not have the ability to check the safety as quickly and as systematically as we do in a study. Well, thank you again, Dr. Mathad. Thank you for giving us the, giving me the opportunity to talk about the work that we're doing to highlight this major issue. I want to thank your listeners for, for listening into this and hopefully trying to think every time you do a study and you check that box that you're going to exclude pregnant women to think about it twice um, and really, and really try to explore if there's a way that you could do the study, including pregnant women, because this is, you know, we're talking about TB and HIV, but this is really with a lot of different diseases that we just don't have enough data in pregnancy.